everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Mike Night Podcast. It's me, your host, Marco Luis. I'm back for season three, and I want to thank every everybody for joining me for the last two seasons. It's been incredible. We've had some incredible, incredible guests, and today is no exception. But first, before we do that, I want to make sure you drop down right now, subscribe, like the episode, follow us on the social media. You know what it is. It's One Mike Night. One Mike Night is spelled O-N-E-M-I-C-N-I-T-E. You can listen to the audio podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Anchor FM, whatever your heart desires. You can also view the podcast on YouTube at One Mike Night. Now, my guest today is amazing. (laughs) And I have to read this one because there's so many credits behind it. You just won't believe it. He is a composer. His name is Jonathan Bingham. He's been recognized for his electronic and acoustic instrumentation. He's composed music for films, advertisements, and he's received commissions to write for numerous ensembles. He received the Vincent C. LaGuardia Award in composition, leading to a residency with the Arafo from La Philharmonic in 2016. Um, through his collaboration with filmmakers, dancers, and painters, he's His work has premiered internationally in concert halls, cinemas, galleries, and playhouses. That's just the tip of the iceberg. We're going to learn a lot more about him in just a minute. So please welcome Jonathan to One Mike Night Podcast. Jonathan, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, thank you for coming. I know you got a a busy schedule, so I appreciate your time. Listen, I have questions. The first question is, who is Jonathan Bingham? Well, I mean... uh... You summed it up. I, I just label myself as a composer. I, I don't like to to put myself into the, the classical realm or, or or you know or any other genre just right off the bat. I, I think a composer to be, you know, they they should be taking responsibility to to enter as many genres as possible. Uh classical is definitely my background. That's that's like, you know, your home, your home state, so to say, but there's nothing wrong with with going out into cinema. There's nothing wrong with going out into pop music and finding out how you can service those areas with with what you know. So, I'm I'm doing my best. I'm trying to figure out you know where where this composition path is going to take me. Uh, it's taken me some great places so far. I've worked with so many so many great people. So as of right now, I'm just gonna keep it at composer. <laughs> All right, so I want to I want to do something. What what is a composer? I mean, let's can we get the definition of a composer? Yeah. So so everybody yeah. knows. Yeah, I mean, my definition, uh, or at least my perspective on it, is someone who can uh, build music in a structural way. Mm. Um, so, for instance, most composers we we do notate our music. You know, we'll we'll go through. Uh, some sort of Western music theory training. We'll learn how to put the treble clef and, and all that. That I don't want to make that sound like that's vital for what a composer is. I'm just saying my background. But uh, my training has really dealt with expanding and building musical ideas. So for instance, it could be a melody, mm-hmm. uh, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, right? Uh, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star is a less than a two minute song, or at least as we know it, it is. 
but uh, a composer, they should be able to come in and be able to expand that to where it could still make musical sense to an audience uh, being a 10 minute piece, a 20 minute piece. Uh, in some cases, you'll have composers who might just repeat it over and over, note for note. And then there are other composers who might want to come in and they will add different voices instead of just hearing the one twinkle, twinkle, little star in line. Mm -hmm. There might be four people singing it. And, you know, we might come in at different entrances. And, you know, that's what we call counterpoint, where, where we have uh, two different melodies or three different melodies or more going on simultaneously. And that's just, you know, one of many techniques that composers can can take and uh, and to build a song, build a piece, what have you. So I want to, so I'll ask you, when, when I think of a composer, you usually hear the word and it's always associated with classical music. But like you said, a composer is not necessarily a com classical uh, uh, arrangement, arranger. It's, it's everything. You know, I guess they're modern day composers as well. Is that synonymous with being a songwriter? I mean, can uh, you, you interchange the two? I, I think that the, the technical way is, or the technical answer is yes. Uh, I, I do consider songwriters composers. I mm -hmm. mean, there's really only a, a cognitive response, you know, that people have kind of grown up with to, to distinguish songwriters and composers. Uh, but really, if you were to speak to someone, they would be able to say like, hey, well, songwriters do this as well. And a composer would be able to say that, well, composers do what songwriters do. So it, it is pretty interchangeable. What's, what's the real difference is that uh, we're just dealing with different time periods, different cultures. Um, I would say the only technical difference is that uh, songwriters only deal with words. Um, mm. Technically, when we're, when we're making music in, in classical music, let's say, mm. without words, it's known as a piece. And a song is a musical composition with words. With words. So that's that's the only that's the only difference. But of course, composers throughout time have made songs, and uh, songwriters, I'm sure, have made songs or pieces. They just didn't put words in them. Um, they just chose to to utilize the instrumental behind, and and that's it. So, uh, you know. You know, of course, this is coming from me, and I'm, there's probably some music theorist out there who might be saying that this is all wrong. But uh, I'd have to disagree. I mean, it's just when you when you look at the output of the art itself, mm -hmm. uh, there, we have more in common than anything else. Okay, how'd you get started doing this? Was uh, <laughs> have you been doing music all your life? No, no, not just... at all. In fact, I do not have the uh, traditional background of a composer or even a songwriter for that matter. I do not come from a musical family. Mm -hmm. I, um, I just had an interest in, in popular culture music. Mm -hmm. When I was in high school, I wanted to do what Quincy Jones had done for Michael Jackson or what uh, Rick Rubin had done for the Red Hot Chili Peppers mm. or what Pharrell has, has done for uh, Jay-Z or, or whoever else that you can think of. I wanted that to be my role and that's that's what I looked at. Um, the role of a music producer, it should be known that you are in many ways a musicologist or a music historian. 
and you know a lot more than just the genre that you're known for working in. Mm. Uh, I, I could bet that Pharrell could have a conversation about any genre of music, even though he might be known for one or two styles. Um, so knowing that, I decided to try to get to know other genres that were further outside of what I grew up with. And the first thing I thought of was classical music because I just knew nothing about it. The people in my circle knew nothing about it. Um, and to, to prove that I knew nothing about it, the first thing that I thought of when I thought of classical music was film scores. Mm. So instead of actually going to listen to Beethoven or, or whatever, I chose John Williams and the soundtrack to Star Wars. And getting to know that and just trying to understand how one person could write for all the instruments and they blend together. And, you know, I, I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what, I, I think I could do this. I, I think that if I could just learn how to orchestrate, I could write a melody mm -hmm. and I could, you know, uh, build a background, let's say, uh, that's my thinking at the time, a background for that melody to support it. And uh, from that point on, uh, I just started studying composition. Okay. So so how did it start out for you? Like when, when you were small, what, first of all, where were you born? I'm from, I was born in Willingboro, New Jersey, which is a suburb of Philly. Okay. Um, but I, I grew up in a, a town a little further away from Philly, uh, Southampton, New Jersey. Were your, uh, were your parents, you know, did they push you towards anything? Were you, did they have expectations for you to be a doctor or a lawyer or any of those things? Or, I mean, of course they did, but, you know, how did it all come about that you... No, my, my parents, they, they seemed like they wanted me to find what I wanted to do. Uh, so that being said, they, they put me in piano lessons mm, just to kind of okay. see, do you like it? Let us know. And if you don't like it, it's okay. We'll move you to something else, uh, which is what happened. I, I was involved in sports. I did piano as a kid. I did trumpet as a kid. I did uh, drums as the kid. And, um, you know, I, I switched up so many times. I mean, I, I throughout my childhood, I, I, I wanted to be a professional athlete. I think all of us did at one point. Right, right? yeah, yeah, um, sure. I, I wanted to get into engineering. I wanted to get into forensic science i've probably wow. always wanted to do that watching csi and all that because that's where i got the idea um but uh but many things i even wanted to uh be a, a high school teacher you know because um you know being influenced by my high, high school teachers right. um so so to your question it, it was it was it was different things at different times when did you find out that music was what you wanted to do? Because I, like you, I started out playing, you know, in the jazz band. I played, started, I actually started out playing flute first. Okay. Then I switched to clarinet. Then I went to saxophone, alto sax, tenor sax, bass, you know, so the whole gamut. So when was it that you, you kind of found that music was, was, yeah, I'm like, yeah, this is it. This is what well, I want to do. It was it was two points. It was there was the point where I knew I wanted to be in pop music, 
mm-hmm. uh, as as first I wanted to to be a rapper. This is early high school, and you know I just felt that I had um, the potential. <laughs> you know, like when, the funny thing is, you know, <laughs> did you have a rap? <laughs> well, I, I yeah. Did you have I, a rap? I mean, did you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, you said a rap name? Yeah. Uh huh. Oh yeah, I had like a few. Little, like little fresh J or something like that. You know? No, you know what? I I, I had a few. So. Um, one of them was a uh, five star. Um, what was another one? Another one was GJ. I took my middle initial G and I put it in front of uh, my first initial. The reason I did that was because um, I went to a predominantly white school mm-hmm. and my, my initials JB were also the init- initials for a racial slur that would some sometimes get in the, the mm, mouths of gotcha, yep. kids who gotcha, wanted to gotcha. be smart for a bit you know let's let's so, talk about that for a minute is that yeah, yeah. so <laughs> how was that for you was that was that high school or was that uh just throughout your that was the whole schooling? time the, the whole time up until the end of high school mm-hmm. was it a private school was it uh it started off as a school? private school up until mm-hmm. third grade i think and then it went public okay yeah I kind of had the same experience too. Yeah, I went to a private school, sort of same thing. So yeah, did you go through a period where you, you know, you sort of had to find yourself and, and kind of find what you wanted to do along with it? Yeah, I, I think always, so. Although you know, I, I wouldn't have put it in those words at the time. You right. know, when you're finding yourself, you don't think that you're finding or searching for yourself. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I was I was experimenting with different uh, clothing, uh, you know, trying to find out what was what was acceptable at the time, especially for for black people? How could black people be accepted? Um, and you know, I, I went with what I saw the what the cool quote unquote uh, black people of the time were doing, um, and I I dressed like them. Uh, Allen Iverson, you know, mm-hmm. I, I yeah, loved yeah. Iverson. You know, right. the the braids and the tattoos and the. the throwback jerseys you know that that was that's what we that's what we were doing back then you know right yeah um but the funny thing is it just like my family wasn't doing that they were just you know allowing me to to experiment and and find myself and and that's what I did high school is the the time to do it you know because all of us can look back and think why was I wearing that or or something you know but again you know air force ones um the, the chains I had the the chains and the charms and the spinners you know I had all that so the only thing I didn't have was the tattoos okay you know mm-hmm. and the earrings my parents wouldn't let me get earrings right so in the midst of all that is probably how you started to find you know different genres of music you listen to too because being in that environment as I did I was listening to rock I mean I was listening to you know pop music. I was listening to soul at home. I was listening to Latin music. I was listening to all these different music because of where I was there, you know, because of my friends being exposed to that sort of thing that they like and I like, and then trying to find out who I am in the midst of it all. Did that kind of happen to you too? Yeah. um, I I would say that, you know, to what you were saying about rock, I know that uh, some of my friends, like I said, predominantly white, Mm -hmm. uh, predominantly white school, um, they were into Red Hot Chili Peppers, ACDC. I was trying to do what I thought I should be doing. I thought I needed to be listening to G-Unit, Jay-Z, Lil Wayne, Juvenile, uh, Birdman, 
Um, and some of that was accepted in, in the school and some of, some of it was uh, kind of pushed aside and they said, no, you should really try out that, uh, try out this, you know, which is a, a blessing and a curse because I was getting introduced to something new. Right. Um, you know, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I'm still a fan. I, I still am too. Me it, too. You know? Yeah. It, it's, it's great stuff. And I probably wouldn't have uh, learned about it had I not been in a predominantly white school exactly yeah uh, but um yeah i mean you know i i kept it with me it, it all kind of formulated into what my musical taste would end up being and um, but the second part to your question of like where like when did i know is while in high school i i took a music technology class and we were tasked with making music to silent films and oh wow although it was like you know cheap midi sounds Mm -hmm. um you know we still had fun with it but it was the first time what do you mean by what do you mean by midi 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 is uh it's uh it stands for uh musical instrument uh digital interface okay you they're like the electronic sound so um let's say uh you you see trumpet listed it's not an actual trumpet right it's that cheap uh, cheesy sound that it's like, you know, gotcha, stuff yeah. like that. So I never knew it, what it was called. Okay. Now yeah, I know that, what it is. That, yeah. That's interesting. That's, that's what it is. Okay. Um, and, and we had in mind you, like I said, this is before 2010. Um, so the technology hadn't evolved yet to where you could have good sounding MIDI. Um, all these sounded very cheap. So, but that's what we had. And it was the first activity that I had ever done that transfixed me. It was, it was a, it was something that made time just become irrelevant. Um, I, it was a 42 minute class. And I remember that because when I would sit down and I would hear the bell, then there would be a second bell, like the late bell. Right. And when that second bell hit, I thought, okay, I can continue writing. But that second bell for me, I never heard the first second bell. So when I heard the bell, it was actually the one to let us know class was over. Oh, wow. So within that two minute time period, you know, 42 minutes had gone by and, you know, but in my mind, it was only two minutes. It was the first time I had felt that while composing. So that, that's when I knew that this is probably. That's where the passion started. I love that. Yeah. I love it. So once you went, once you went there, that was high school, grade school, where'd you go to college? Well, I was on my mind was still popular music. Mm -hmm. So even though I had gone through, you know, that transfixing period with uh, writing music to films, I still wanted to go and and be a producer. So I started studying music tech at uh, Norfolk State University. Mm -hmm. And, um, three semesters in, that's when I decided to start listening to quote classical music, which was really film score, but cognitively I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's classical music. Um, But yeah, three semesters in started listening to John Williams and then made the transfer to, to Howard so that I could start studying music composition. Wow. Okay. Yeah. uh, Norfolk state at least at the time did not offer uh, an undergraduate curriculum in composition. They had music ed and they had music tech. So when I knew that I wanted to study composition, I knew that a transfer was was about to happen. So at, at uh, Howard, the music composition class that did 
focus on a specific genre or it was just a sort of a general uh, music composition? It teaches you how to compose the music and did they use classical music as the the basis or yeah, how it, was that program? It, it, it was a, a specific genre. And, and that's one of the things that my academic advisor let me know before transferring in. Mm -hmm. he, he said, hey, like this, we're not doing songwriting. We're not making beats. You know, we are writing uh, European, uh, Western, classical music wow. based out of the 20th century. You know, okay. like he was just, you know, putting it out there. That's what we're going to be looking at. That's what we're going to be studying. Of course, that doesn't mean that that's what I have to end up doing with my life. Right. It's just, this is what the curriculum is. This is going to be your foundation. And afterwards, you know, of course, go on, be you, uh, but you're going to get this foundation, this this type of training here. Wow, that's amazing. I had no idea Howard offered that. Oh, yeah, it's shout uh, out to Howard. It, it's it, it was something that was thriving more so in the 1900s. Mm -hmm. And uh, at some point in the late 1900s, it, it did uh, dissolve a bit, but then came back around the time that that I enrolled. OK. So once you graduated Howard, where did you where did you go? Where did the path After take After Howard, I, I moved back home and uh, I knew that I wanted to go to graduate school. But, um, you know, my advisor and my private teacher in composition, same gentleman that I was just speaking of, he he was he was honest and, and thought that if I really wanted to to go to a, a top notch graduate school, I was going to have to take some time off and write some more music because my portfolio at the time just wasn't up to par with all the people who were applying to Juilliard or New England Conservatory or UCLA. He knew that it was a competitive process. So he wanted me to have an orchestral work, which I didn't have at the, at the time. He wanted me to uh, enroll in other summer programs to kind of build my, my resume up so that I wouldn't just say, Howard University, and I wrote this while at Howard. It was Howard University. I studied in Siena, Italy. I also studied with the University of Nebraska for a summer program. I also wrote this piece for an orchestra right. and whatnot, uh, because those are the types of uh, elements that you need on a, a composer's resume if you're planning on applying to one of the top-notch schools. That's right. That's what they're looking for. Yeah. For sure. Right. So. Who's, uh, who was your Who was your mentor there? Do you want to give a shout out to him? Because yeah, absolutely. It, it was Anthony Randolph, Doctor Anthony Randolph, who still teaches composition there. Okay. Uh, so yeah, shout out to Doctor Randolph. Uh, and a, another thank you. I, I say thank you to him all the time, just for Listen, taking me on. We have to. That's one thing that I've learned in life is you always give a shout out to your teachers because those are the people who have put you in the place that you are right now. And shout out to Ann Woodworth, my teacher from Northwestern University, who just retired last year. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I hear you. you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got it. I'll, I'll throw in a uh, shout out to Dr. Ohia, who was a he's another composer at Howard. Uh, and Dr. Norris, who who used to teach uh, music history at Howard, but did retire a few years ago. He's been a great resource for me. Let it be known. Let it be known. These people cannot be forgotten. 
So you, I want to talk about, you have something in the works right now. Uh, first of all, where are you located right now? Currently in San Francisco. In San Francisco, right? What are you, what are you doing in San Francisco? So uh, during the time of, of summer of 2020, there was a, um, of course, throughout America, you know, we, you know, we started looking at race as being part of our conversations again. Uh, more so than than what they had been in the past decade. Mm -hmm. So that being said, uh, the classical music community was no different. And there were a number of initiatives that that came about. One of them was the Emerging Black Composers Project, which was uh, thrown in collaboration by the San Francisco Symphony and the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. Uh, and I applied. It was just a call for scores uh, in a composition competition composition competition uh, type fashion. And uh, I became one of the finalists. Uh, they, they selected four finalists. Uh, top prize went to uh, Trevor Weston, who teaches at Drew University. He will be commissioned to write for the San Francisco Symphony. And the other, and the others, uh, the other finalists, uh, which included me, will be either writing for the uh, National Brass Ensemble or the San Francisco Conservatory of Music Orchestra wow. or the Oakland Symphony. So my task is to write for the National Brass Ensemble. Wow, congratulations to that. This just makes me, I mean, this just makes me proud because this is, this is something that in our community, we don't hear about a lot, you know what I mean? So it's inspiring to me to hear that we have, you know, been able to thrive a little bit, like knock down some doors. We're being presented to the world to show our, 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 our skills and our ability. And congratulations to all of them and congratulations to you for even doing what you do and made it, making it this far. Well, thank you. Yeah, uh, you know, kind big. of thinking back to, to high school a bit, um, one thing that I really did want while I was in high school, I did want to see people that look like me just outside of the stereotype. You right, know? yeah. Uh, it, it didn't really matter where. Right. Uh, it just wanted to to show the, the rest of the country that, you know, uh, you know, Black people, Black Say culture, it. it was not a monolith. Say you know it. I mean? That's it. So uh, that being said, so yeah, this is, this is part of that. This is building on that. And as we move into the 21st century, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, this really makes a difference in the, in the history books. It does. It's already made a difference. What are you What are you working on right now? So, so it, it is the National Brass Ensemble piece. Okay. Um, usually, um, at least in the past, you know, I've taken on maybe a few projects at a time. Uh, but for this piece, I felt that I, I wanted to to give everything, all of my attention into the partic this particular piece. I wanted to live in the the city and write it in the city mm. um, of its facilitators. Um, so I never thought I would live in San Francisco. Um, you know, I'm from the East Coast, we have New York and you know, that that suffices, you know. Number one, yeah. Right, you know, um, <laughs> At least that's what we think. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and I, I lived in New York and I, I thought that I'd be there uh, for the rest of my life. Um, but uh, you know, this this, this was just a, a, different, a different call, so. When, when I got it, I was like, you know what? Uh, let, let me write it out here. I don't know if I'll be here for, you know, for the rest of the decade or the rest of my life, but uh, I, I, my goal is to be here, to write the entire piece here and to have it, we will be recording it here and it's going to be premiered here as well. 
I love that. Congratulations on that. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Now, is that in conjunction with the other thing that you're doing? You're doing something for uh, cool, cool, cool story. stories. Yeah. Yeah. Cool story is uh, a record label that I've launched. Okay. Uh, and yeah, thank you for asking about that. Yeah, of course. Because uh, that that is my own personal project. Uh, cool story is put making a platform for some of the composers that we just may not have heard of uh, in the past, but you know, music that has been with us the entire time. Uh, one composer that I'm really focusing on is Mark Fax, who was the chair of the Howard University Music Department and uh, was a teacher in composition there up until 1974, I believe it is, when he died. Uh, but he had music that just went unpublished. It, it sat in his office after his death. There was a, a, a custodian who threw out his sheet music. Um, and, you know, just by chance, one of the, the colleagues that uh, I believe the, the next department chair, uh, he walked by the, the trash can and noticed what was in there. He took the scores out and, and uh, thankfully they were saved. Wow. So up until, or between now and then they've, They've either been put into the Georgetown University Library, uh, from my understanding, or they've just been sitting with the Fax family. Um, and there was one string quartet that I heard while at Howard. I believe that was the first and only performance of it. I thought it was a great piece. I had the recording on my computer for the following 10 years. And um, I, I thought to myself, you know, I, I would want to be the one to put this on a, a platform to where other people can hear it as well. So uh, yeah, Cool Story Records will be uh, producing the, the first album from Mark Fax, or at least his music, and as well as his teacher, excuse me, his students, uh, Adolphus Hale Stork, who has a, a pretty, uh, you know, his, his name's been circulating in, in the classical community lately, which is great. Uh, and Dorothy Redmore as well. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. How do we, how do you, how are you supporting this? So I, I've uh, received donations uh, from friends, family, I made the website coolstoryrecords.com where people can donate. And, um, you know, thank you to everyone who has donated up until now. We are going to be moving with moving on with the recording in the spring. So I'm, I'm very happy to say that because we've been raising money. I, I, I made the website in the summer. So this time, all the way up until it's just been a little bit of money coming in every once in a while, people who just wanted to support. Uh, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. Well, that sounds good. I hope the people listening right now will support you on this effort because I know I definitely will. Oh, well, thank definitely you. And, and let yeah. me add that uh, I, I'm also taking 100% of the proceeds of uh, sales purchases of my music and it's going directly into the recording. My music is on sale uh, on my website, jonathan-bingham.com. Uh, and I've, I've had a few purchases this week, uh, which is great. And uh, like I said, all of that money will be going into financing this album. 
I love it. Passion project. Absolutely. Let's let's talk about your music. How first of all, I wanna <laughs> so when when we're listening to music, for first of all, how do you even come up with a piece? Because you know, just say a, a regular lay person listens to music. We listen to music. We listen to music. You don't really think about how it's composed. We just know like the melody, what makes us move. If you're listening to pop music or or anything like that, how do you take, you know, a flute, an oboe, a trumpet, uh, a violin, everything in your head, and structure it in a way that is moving or that will fit a piece, you know, a piece of art or a movie score. You know, as a filmmaker, I know I know what if I'm if I'm if I'm making, you know, a film and I have a scene and I know there's I need music. I know from listening if this music goes with that. But how do you come up with that music? Well, uh, keep in mind that, you know, my take is going to be different from every composer, of course. Uh, I will say that I look at composition as a craft in a way. There are some people who romanticize it a bit more. You know, they're influenced by the sun rising or, or they fell in love or, or what have you. And then they they start whistling a me melody, they write it down and then there it is. Uh, for me, you know, I've, I've looked at a lot of music over the years, uh, just listening to it and getting the score and just reading along. And when the horns did something that I liked, I would go to that section and find out how it's notated. Hmm. And, you know, that just doing that over the course of the years with the horns, with the flutes, with the strings, you know, learning the difference in sound between a violin, a viola and a cello, because they can all they can all play middle C, right. but it's going to be a different timbre. Um, so, you know, to, to your question, it's, I feel that in many cases, um, you know, composition is, it's like this giant game of telephone, you know, when you whisper to someone and then they whisper that same phrase and then you get something completely different by right, the end yeah. of the line. You know, I'm just, I'm just one person in that lineage. So um, I've looked at a number of people. So in this case, it's more like I'm playing three games of telephone at the same time getting different messages. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm in a way making my own message out of it. So, um, you know, my work and, you know, my training as well, which again is different for every composer in their path and depending on who they study with, uh, we work at, at taking small ideas and just expanding it. Um, I remember my teacher, he was always telling me that I, I, I moved on too quickly to the next section. Just take this one little idea and you could turn that into a you could turn that into the whole piece, 10 minutes, you know, just this one little thing. Hmm. Um, so it, that, that's the, the craftsmanship that, I, that I'm really uh, talking about, just being able to have that patience and, you know, expand what you can. So I guess that along with um, maybe a parallel to someone doing uh, music, beats for a pop or hip hop or something like that, I guess maybe what you're saying is, okay, you start off with, okay, how do I want this music to sound? Oh, okay, you, I know I want um, a flute. So you add the flute in. How do you want the flute to sound? You know, is this gonna be a, you know, fast, what the beat is, what the beat per minute's gonna be? 
like taking all the elements and adding them in slowly to produce the sound or the feeling that you need. Is that kind of what you're saying? No, no, absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I love that you mentioned, you know, making beats because I, I think, again, it, it has more in common with composing than, you know, than anything different about it. It's, you know, it's, it's about building something. You can't just take, you know, A and B and put them together and ex expect them to sound great. You know, there's, there's, um, again, it, it's, it's craft. It's, it's skill that has to be developed over time. It takes practice. Uh, you have to, it's best if you have a mentor. It's, it's best that if you listen to music within and outside of the genre that you're, that you're writing in. So yeah, that, no, absolutely. That, that's a great way to put it. What do you say to anyone who, you know, was, didn't know about what you're doing to be a composer, any person of color who had no idea that this was even possible, where would they start? Where do they, where do they begin? Well, first of all, to be honest, um, you know, not to sound discouraging, but I don't recommend that anyone take on this path unless that's what they really want to do. Um, unless they find some sort of purpose or some sort of meaning in it. And the reason why is that when you consider uh, what classical music is in our community, what, what the arts are in our community, um, there's definitely going to be about 10 years before the point where you decide to do it and then the point where you find success or at least to the point where you can start taking care of yourself with it um and for some people it's 15 years and some people it's 20 years 30 years um, that's that's with almost any artist though oh, you know exactly. i mean definitely def definitely your field but any artist no, yeah, there's it, no overnight success ab absolutely yeah. and, and during that time of of waiting you know there's going to be as an artist you're going to be prone to uh um, loneliness, uh, heartbreak, failure, addictions, depressions, um, at least two of those, you know, everyone has gone through at least two of those, every artist that is. And uh, to, to keep yourself going, you, you need that, that guiding purpose again of, of why you feel that it's, it's important to do. So if, if you don't have that, and if you're just looking at it as a hobby, then treat it as a hobby and, and, you know, be the best that you can at it, but don't expect it to, to take care of you in any sort of way. This is just for fun, you know, and I, I support that and, and we need that as well. But for those who want to turn it in, to, to step onto the world stage with it, um, uh, you, you just have to have that, that guiding light within you. Um, that, that, so that's, that's my recommendation. You can absolutely do it. I, I endorse anyone who wants to do it. But uh, like I said, it's best if you if you can say that this is a call on my life to do it. There you have it. I think we need to leave him with that because <laughs> purpose is the biggest thing that, you know, any artist can pursue. If you don't have your purpose, if it's not what you're meant to do, you don't have the passion, the drive, the love for it. It's not worth doing. Absolutely. It's not worth doing. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Jonathan, I want to thank you for spending some time and enlightening everybody with what you do. And I wish you much, much, much success 
please come back. You know, once this thing all breaks down and let us know how it went, I'll be looking for you. I'll be supporting you. Um, once again, tell everybody what the website is so we yeah, can support uh, you. Uh, to support, uh, you could visit coolstoryrecords.com. Uh, you can listen to my music and purchase my music at my own website, which is jonathan-bingham.com. Or you could type in, to make it easier, coolstorymusic.com, and that'll lead you straight to, to my website. Coolstorymusic.com is my coolstoryrecords.com is the record label. Gotcha. And if we need to reach you direct, can we send you an email or? Of course, yeah. Uh, you can send an email through through my website. <clears throat> through the website, okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's the best way. And uh, of course, social media, my name at John Bingham, just without the A at the end, because someone took it. <laughs> I, I got to work with J-O-N-B-I-E-H-N. <laughs> got to work with what you got. You got to grab that name on social media before somebody else grabs it. I know. You know <laughs> what? I, when I got into social media, I thought this was going to be an, another MySpace. So right. I didn't even bother, you know. So I know. I, I'm late. I'm late. I'm late too, but I mean, I managed to grab mine. Somebody grabbed a couple of them, but you know, <laughs> my name is very common. No, I hear you. Once again, I want to thank you for spending some time and uh, enlightening us with that whole process and your journey. And I wish you much success. Everyone, please make sure you go to coolstory.com. Check him out. John Bingham on coolstoryrecords.com. Records.com, yeah, excuse cool me. And coolstorymusic.com. Thank you. Coolstorymusic.com buy his music 100% of the proceeds go to help fund this project um, and enjoy enjoy it's something that's beautiful I've been listening to it it keeps me calm and keeps me sane so thank you for that thank you everyone please make sure you like this episode subscribe follow us on social media at one mic night one mic night once again is spelled o-n-e-m-i-c-n-i-t-e you can follow me at Marcos Luis, M-A-R-C-O-S-L-U-I-S. Drop me a line, hit me on Instagram, let me know what you think. Also, as you can see, the One Mike Night merchandise is coming. This is the prototype, so please check back. One Mike Night podcast, always 16 years supporting independent artists. That's what I do at One Mike Night. Thank you for joining me for this episode, season three. Until next time, we're out.